Hello and welcome to Living a Culture of Life podcast by Human Life International. I'm your host, Colleen, and I'm joined today by Kelly Lester from And Then There Were None. Thank you so much for joining us today, Kelly. Sure, Colleen. Thanks for having me. And can you just share your story with our listeners? Let's just start there because when I was reading through it before this interview, I was so blown away by your story. It's so powerful. So can you just, yeah, start talking about that? And I'm excited. <laughs> I want to hear your story. Yeah. Here you tell it. yeah. So my story, um, I grew up in an upper middle class home, you know, I had a good family, good parents, but can remember my whole life always feeling shame um, and didn't really know why. Didn't feel like I ever fit in or belonged. Um, and then as a freshman in high school, I had some friends come over. They said, hey, let's sneak out and go to a party. And we did. And while we were at that party, a boy came up to me and asked me to go on a walk. And while we were on that walk, he raped me. And I came back, told my friends, well, the next morning told my friends and they said, you know, why would he have done that to you? He could have anybody that he wanted. And I went and I told my youth pastor and her response was, well, if you'd never snuck out and gone to that party, that would have never happened. So that didn't provide the comfort that I had hoped I would get from either of those situations. And so I looked for comfort and I found it in the arms of young men. And by the time I was 15, I was pregnant. And then I went to my boyfriend's mom, told her, she said, no problem, Kelly, we'll go and get an abortion. And I, I didn't understand the ins and outs of abortion, but I very much knew that I was pregnant and I didn't want to be. And I trusted her. And when she said this was the best thing, um, that's what I did. And so I went, had my first abortion. She dropped me off with a wad of cash and said, I'll be back in a few hours to pick you up. And I went in a nationally ranked tennis player, a straight A student and a regular church attender. And I walked out and I ran from everything good in my life because I didn't think that God would ever be able to forgive me for that. And so I started getting very involved in alcohol, drugs, started running drugs for the Puerto Rican mafia, got involved in every kind of depravity there is, you know, homosexuality, pornography, eating disorders, all of the things trying to cover that feeling of not being worth, worthy and, you know, feeling of being um, worthless and just not having a purpose. And then during that whole time, um, I got tired of, my friends were ODing and my life was really chaotic and I got tired of it. And so I looked for a job where I could help people. And I saw in my newspaper that a local women's clinic was hiring. And I went to the address in the newspaper and it was where I had had my abortion. And I walked in and got hired as a receptionist. Um, and this was over 20 years ago, making $18 an hour. And so as the receptionist, they asked me to do things like edit magazines. So I would cut out pictures of happy couple, couples or babies or diaper ads or anything like that because we didn't want anything to cue that maternal instinct in the woman. We would also turn the heat very hot or the air conditioning very cold when the guys would come um, for the appointment with the girls. And in Virginia at that time, there was a 24-hour waiting period. So oftentimes the guys would come for the first appointment and then, you know, the next day would be the actual procedure. So during that appointment, when she was back, we wanted the guys to get up and leave because if he wouldn't even support her for this first appointment, what makes you think he will support you for a child? And so that was, you know, the way that we would manipulate them and try to get them to have the abortion. The other part of it was the recovery room. So I was in charge of releasing the women um, in the recovery room. And the number of women that I saw hemorrhaging from perforated uteruses and bowels and, and all of those things is what eventually caused me to leave the abortion industry. 
And so I did. I left the abortion industry, did not become pro-life because I was still very lost and still very confused. And in fact, had several more abortions um, and was living in New Orleans with a boyfriend. And it was a very violent relationship. We decided that it was time for me to go home. We got into a big fight. And um, there was a point where we had ripped the door off the door frame. And he pushes me on the ground, leans on top of me, grabs a two by four from the door frame and goes to hit me over the head with it. Mid-swing, he drops the board, punches me in the face several times. My face explodes and the fight stops. And then the next morning I wake up and I have text messages and phone calls from my father in Virginia, who is the last person you want to talk to after a night like that. So I didn't. And then 24 hours later, packed up my belongings and came home. My dad meets me and, you know, mind you, my eyes are black and swollen shut. My nose is flat and crooked. My mouth is all busted. And as soon as he sees me, he begins to cry. And I said, oh, dad, you know, I was in a car accident. The thing that women say in those kinds of situations. And he looks at me and he says, Kelly, two nights ago, I was asleep. And in the middle of the night, I was awoken by the Lord. And I had a vision of you laying dead on the floor with your head split wide open. And so I began to pray. And so I realized that my father's prayers um, had saved my life. And then it took a couple of weeks. I was sitting in the front pew of my dad's church because my dad was a pastor. And I hear the Lord say, have you had enough? And I instantly knew it was the voice of God. I instantly knew it was God calling out to me. And I you know, gave him the list of reasons why he shouldn't love me and he should be disappointed in me. And he said, Kelly, if you follow me, I will make beauty from ashes. And that is literally what he has done every area of my life where the enemy tried to steal, kill, and destroy. God has come in and saved and healed and redeemed and restored. And um, part of that is I started working at a pregnancy center um, several years ago, and we did a fundraiser for the movie un- with the movie Unplanned. I had told a lot about my story to a lot of people, but there was one aspect of my story that I never really shared, and that was working in the abortion industry. Because that was something that I didn't know anybody who had ever done. That was the kind of thing that, like, if I would say, people would scrunch up their faces and didn't know how to handle it. But I knew that that was an area that I needed healing. And so then that was October of 2019. January of 2020 went to the March for Life. And Abby and the team were there. And I went up to them and said, hey, you know, I'm a former worker. And they accepted me with open arms. And um, then COVID hit. And it took a few months. But I was in conversations with them, you know, and and building relationship with them virtually. And then in October of 2020, I went to my first healing retreat with them. Then there were none. And in February of 2021, came on staff. Um, And so other than Abby, I was the first former worker to be on staff with them. Then there were none. Um, And now travel and and work for her doing government engagement and um, testifying for pro-life legislation, travel around the country, share my story, speak at conferences. Um, and so now, you know, the Lord has, again, that's one area that the Lord has now redeemed and restored. So, okay. So I want to go back to how you had the abortion when you were 15. How was that legal? Cause you were a sure. minor. Did you have to have, did anyone have to sign yeah. off on that? Did you just walk in with a wad of no. cash and say, I'm 15 years old and I want an abortion? How did that work? Yeah. So technically in the state of Virginia at that time, it, or actually even now in the state of Virginia, if you are under the age of 16, you have to have parental notification unless they get a judicial bypass. Okay. So as the abortion industry, we were told if you have somebody who is underage to frame the question of, do you feel afraid of how your parents are going to react to this news? 
And if they say yes, that is warrant to get a judicial bypass. Wow. So that's it. That's all that you have to do. And you already have the judges lined up and you already have the way lined up. And so it's a very easy thing to get around that, um, that law. Now, some states do have a more strict parental notification law where you have to have sign off by so many, you know, there, there are some more strict parameters to that, but most of them, if there is a, um, an age requirement, it is very easy to, to circumvent if you get a judicial bypass. Wow. Yeah. I didn't realize it was that easy to get around that. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we have former workers who have left the industry because they were seeing the same girls come in time after time after time. And technically, you have to get a judicial bypass for each situation, each time that that girl comes in. But they would basically get one and that would give her, you know, the clearance every time. And so these girls are coming in over and over and over again who are underage. The question is why, you know, is a 15 year old coming in four or five, six times a year. Um, And so that caused some insecurity in the former workers and they ended up leaving because of it. Do you see like a lot of people leaving because they sense that something illegal is going down or because women aren't being treated well? Is that one reason that a lot of women leave? Yeah, it's definitely a big part. I mean, we, everyone gets into the abortion industry because they want to help. You know, that's really, either they want to help or they know, they hear it's good money. Those are really the two reasons that people get involved. Oftentimes it's women who they themselves have had abortions. Um, Not always, but oftentimes. Um, I would say that of our work, of our Six, over 650 workers that we have that have left, every one of them have childhood trauma. So abortion is a trauma response, not only for the woman who's having the abortion, but also the abortion worker. Um, and so, you know, there's something in there that they're trying to cover up. So inevitably, the injustices that they are seeing in the abortion industry, whether that's illegal activity, whether that's the way that the women are being treated, whether that's, you know, um, the illegal health care or how they're going around rules or going around regulations, those kinds of things oftentimes, sometimes it is a traumatic experience, seeing a baby being born alive and killed or seeing, you know, those kinds of things would be the secondary reason that women typically or that workers typically leave. Um, But oftentimes, yeah, it's the illegal activity. It makes sense because I feel like a lot of times the like idea surrounding abortion is that, oh, we're here to help women. We're empowering women. We're helping them. And so if women believe that and they're working at the clinic and they realize that's not true, if they really do care about women and they're not very numb to everything that's going on, then they're more likely to leave because they realize it's not actually helping women. Do you, yeah. do you find that, did you find that a lot of people that you worked with were, knew what was going on, but numbed themselves to it and didn't want to confront the reality of abortion? Or did they actually, like, did they actually believe that they were helping women or had they kind of realized that something was going on and they weren't ready to leave and walk away? Yeah, I think that both. I think everybody that I knew got into it wanting to help women. Something that we have to realize is the pro-life movement. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've heard people say, you know, the, the people at the abortion industry, are they just so pro-death? And you have to change your mindset because these people are not pro-death. They are pro-woman. Mm-hmm. And while it is distorted and it's hard as pro-lifers because we see that abortion hurts women, the people in the abortion industry do not believe that. They do not believe that abortion is hurting women. They honestly believe as passionately as we believe that abortion hurts women, they believe that abortion helps women. And so you have to understand that mindset because they're thinking you're 15, 
you're too young to do this. This isn't the best thing for you. This is going to ruin your future. And so abortion is the best answer for you. Or you're a drug addict and, you know, you don't want to be having a drug baby and having to deal with that forever. And so abortion is the best answer for you. Or you're in a domestic violence situation and you don't want to be tied to that guy forever. And so abortion is the best answer for you. Or you're a career woman and you don't want to ruin all of these years that you've worked hard for. And so abortion is the best answer for you. Or you've got five kids already that you're having a hard time supporting. And so, you know, you want to be a good mother. And so abortion is the best answer for you. Like, you have to realize that that is the mindset and the parameter that the majority of the people in the abortion industry. Now, that's not everybody. Some of the higher level execs are thinking money and are thinking those things. But the in and out daily workers, the clinic escorts, those people, they are really thinking that they are helping women. So when they start to see some of the things come, those blinders come off. You know, those, that, those scales on their eyes come off and they start to see the reality that this is not actually helping women. And so that can change hearts. How did that jive then with basically manipulating women into getting abortions where you were cutting out things from magazines or you were trying to get the men out of there so they couldn't support women? Um, how did how do those two go together then? If you're trying to manipulate women into getting abortions, but you're also saying you're pro-women. Yeah. How does that work? Because Yeah, because now remember, I was somebody who had an abortion. And so it was phrased to me as, Kelly, you know how hard this decision is. And we want to make it as easy as possible for her. And so what you're trying to do is you're trying to remove, because you, we were told to believe and to assume that if a woman came to us, abortion was the best, best choice for her. Mm -hmm. And so you want to try to remove any obstacles from that. So any of the, you know, it's, it's funny, not funny, but. Like, let's look at Britney Spears, okay? She recently came out and said that she had an abortion and that she, you know, she did it because Justin Timberlake. The other side has come back with the narrative of the reason that Britney Spears feels um, sorrow about her abortion, feels regret about her abortion, is because the pro-lifers have shamed her for that decision and have shamed her for, you know what I mean? So it's, it's that framework. And so we were trying to take away any barriers. We were trying to take away any shame. We were trying to take away any judgment. We were trying to, trying to take away any of that stuff to make it easy for her. We didn't want her being coerced by her boyfriend to keep this child if it wasn't the best thing for her. And so all of that again, is being done out of, out of a wounding ourselves. You know, it's being done out of a place of, um, just not health. And so it's easy to kind of manipulate those things and to fall into it. But yeah, that's, yeah, that's really interesting. So was there like an attitude at the clinic then of you're doing this for money or you're doing it for women? How did, did, was there ever, did it ever feel very industrial? Like, oh, we're just trying to fill up the gaps in our schedule. I remember I read a little bit about that in one of the articles. Yeah. Yeah, it was both. I mean, it was definitely, there's a both to it. There's a, you know, my, my facility didn't have quotas, but a lot of places do, okay. um, you know, where if you get a certain number, you get a pizza party or, you know, like something like that. Now I did have with me as a receptionist, if there was a gap, we would go back and call people who had originally called inquiring about our information, inquiring about our service. We would call them and say, Hey, are you still interested in trying to fill those holes? <clears throat> so there was the feeling of, it was kind of a dual thing. So yes, we were trying to help women, but this is a business as well. 
And so just like any business, you if you're, there's gaps in your schedule, you lose money. The other piece of that is follow-up appointments. We never tried to schedule a follow-up appointment because a follow-up appointment, there's no charge. That's a free, that's a free service. And so we didn't want to fill our time schedule with those kinds of things. Everything that we did, we wanted to be a paid service. So it was a dual thing. Um, but definitely the, the motivation was to help women. It was more like we need to make money so that we can keep helping women not our goal is to make money, if that makes, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, it does. And like you said, I think it's so important for pro-lifers to realize what their mentality is, because if you don't understand what people are thinking and what they're going through and what their motivations are, you're not going to be able to really reach them effectively. Absolutely. Did you ever have people praying or protesting outside your clinic? Yeah, so we had people protesting, um, not in a good way, um, definitely in a bad way. Um, the kind of protesting that gave me motivation to walk into work every day, put it that way. Um, Can you go into that a little bit more so that people realize what it looks like (laughs) from the other side? Yeah. I mean, when there are people yelling, you're a murderer, you're killing, you know, this is a killing mill um, with pictures of aborted babies, all of that kind of stuff, that felt very judgmental. That felt very, we're trying to put shame on you. And that made me feel like you have no idea what you're talking about. You don't actually care about women. You actually just are trying to protest what we are doing. And so that gave me more motivation to try to protect these women. That gave me more motivation to try to get them in quickly and safely and help them as much as possible to shield them from you with your judgment and your hate. Now, that being said, there was one guy and his children that would come and they would stand at the top of a hill outside of our facility. And when they would come, there were times where our autoclave machine would stop working, our phone system would go down, something in the building would go down, and somebody would turn and say, is that man and his children outside praying? Whoa. And we would look, and sure enough, that man and his children would be outside praying. And that was far more helpful to the pro-life cause than the other stuff that that was occasionally going on. So praying was usually the most like effective way to reach people was when you saw people in prayer. That's Yeah, I mean, at the time, and again, this was over 20 years ago. So at the time, there wasn't a lot of advocacy going on like we have now, um, you know, with resources for women, with Sidewalk Advocates for Life, that their main goal is to advocate resources and help the woman. It's not a protest. There's a very big difference between being an advocate and protesting. Um, And at that time, it was protesting. Um, 40 Days for Life wasn't even around at that time. So that didn't even exist. This man was just kind of doing that already on his own. Um, And so I think that there is a big difference in those two things. And I think, I, I wish that there had been advocates outside when I had gone into the abortion facility as a client, because there wasn't. There were protesters and that was it. Um, and I think that if somebody had said, hey, we can help you, hey, there's resources for you. Hey, we wanna, you know, I think that could have changed my mind. Whereas somebody standing there with signs and, and yelling things at me, again, just pushed me into the clinic. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. It's good to hear it from someone who's experienced it that way, because I think as pro-lifers, 
sometimes it's easy to get things black and white. It's like, this is wrong. We have to go protest it instead of trying to look at what what struggles are women going through and how can we meet those needs? Right. How can we be there right. in a compassionate, loving way and help them choose life and empower them to actually take care of their child? Yeah, and I think if you want to protest it, protesting it in hours where women clients are not coming in, mm-hmm. I mean, that's fine. If you want the businesses around to know what's going on, if you want the neighborhood to know what's going on, you know, I can see some value to doing that. But if you have clients, women who are coming in, that is not the time to protest because your t- your main goal in those moments should be providing resources to those women so they can choose something else. And a protest does not do that. Did you find that a lot of women who came to your clinic actually wanted abortions or were they being pressured into it by somebody else? The majority of women that came to us were just like the majority of women now. 78% of women have abortions because of financial reasons. Now, that may be I'm in a career and I don't want to end my career. That may be I'm a college student and I want to continue on college to do my future. That may be I'm poor and I don't know how I'm going to support this child when I can't support the children that I already have. But the majority of them are coming in for financial reasons. And some are for sure being coerced and manipulated by a partner, by a parent. Absolutely no doubt. The majority of the women, though, felt like this was their best choice. And sometimes, even to the detriment, I know that I'm going to have the guilt of this. I know that I'm going to have the shame of this. You know, I'm going to have to deal with it. But that is better than putting this on the child. Mm -hmm. Having the child have to suffer and grow up in a house that's poor, you know, or whatever, whatever that looks like. I wonder how many of those women come from situations where they grew up with a lot of childhood trauma as well, because I feel like if you've suffered as a child and you've had to take on the weight of your parents' addictions or financial instability, Mm -hmm. a lot of people will frame that as I don't want to pass that on to the next generation. And abortion seems like the easy way out. Absolutely. I think, I mean, abortion is a trauma response. Mm -hmm. So that's a trauma response from somewhere in there. You know, whether that's you've been raped, whether that's been, you know, whatever that looks like, it is a trauma response. And so I think the majority of women, that's where they're coming from. And that's another place that we have to change our mind as pro-lifers of, yes, it is a selfish response, but oftentimes, like you said, I'm doing it. And I know it's hard for us to get our minds around it when you think, life begins at conception and you're killing something. So to kill it, how is that better than having it be raised poor? And I get that completely, but you're talking about a morality that not necessarily everyone has first off, or secondly, you're talking about it from somebody, hopefully as a pro-lifer who's healthy, who has God, who has faith, who has a support system. And these women don't necessarily have that. And so you're, you're asking them to understand concepts or to look at things with a viewpoint that may not be their reality. Um, and that's where, again, that advocating, hey, we're here for you, we'll be your community, we'll help you, we'll support you, can sometimes help change those paradigms um, that women just don't feel. They feel alone, they feel helpless, and they're trying not to perpetuate the generational stuff that they've been in. Was it healing for you to work at a pregnancy center? Was that really helpful for you to be able to offer real support for women and not offer them just abortion? Yeah, definitely. I loved working at the pregnancy center. I loved, um, you know, trying to find solutions to the issues that we see, um, you know, and getting to share my story with women and with different people and, and tell them, you know, my story and try to help prevent them from making the same mistakes. 
Um, I, I love I love that and love pregnancy centers. I mean, I, I love the work that is being done. Okay, I have another question too, because you mentioned that you basically would turn up the heat and the air conditioning to try to push men out of there. Mm-hmm. Why was yes. that? And then if it was because you didn't want men supporting women, why did the like why did your clinic think that pushing men out and denying women that support would be helpful for women? Yeah, it's 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 kind of crazy. So we first off, if a man called our clinic looking for information, we would not give him any information. Okay. Like even if he was calling trying to get, you know, find out hours or find out costs or find out, we would not give him any information because it was like this is her decision. He doesn't have a place in it. We don't want him to be involved in it. And so likewise, it was the same thing. We didn't want him to, my body, my choice. You know, we didn't want him to persuade her into choosing something that she didn't want. That was the, that was the surface level. That was the surface level thing. But deeper, we knew that if he supported her, she probably wasn't going to choose the abortion and we didn't want that to happen. And so there was an underlying thing to it as well. Okay. Yeah, that that makes sense if you think about abortion as the best option for women. Like if that's really what you believe, then it makes sense that you want to remove any sort of outside influences that are going to pull her away from that. Yeah. Okay, so you said that a lot of women get abortions for financial reasons. Do you find that there's Mm -hmm. abortion workers who want to leave the industry who don't because for financial reasons, they don't want to lose their job. They don't want to walk away from a stable job. They need the money. And how can pro-lifers help women in those situations? Yeah, absolutely. That's the main reason that they don't leave um, because they are being overcompensated for a job typically. And, and if a worker leaves, oftentimes that abortionist will blacklist them. And so it's very difficult for them to get another job. The easiest way that you can help with that is support. And then there were none, because that is one of our things that we do is we provide transitional financial help for those workers and help them find another job and help them write a resume. And during that process, while they're looking for a job, we will help them financially so that we we don't ever want finances to be a reason that somebody stays in the abortion industry. And so the best way to help with that is, you know, if you support and then there were none, those funds go directly to help abortion workers leave the industry. Yeah, that's yeah. I've never thought about it from that perspective before of how we can support people who are actually leaving the industry. How were you treated by pro-lifers when you left? Were people, did people like understand or was that something that people didn't really, I think you mentioned people didn't really necessarily know how to deal with it. They just got this look on their face and going off of that, how can people who are listening to this support people who are walking out of the industry? Yeah, I definitely didn't. I mean, I, I was still pro-choice for many, many years after leaving the industry. And so I didn't have a lot of experience with pro-lifers in the immediate, but after the fact it was definitely something that people just didn't know how to handle. Um, and even when I first started working with them, then there were none. I can remember going to conferences and tabling for, and then there were none. And people would come up and be like, oh, what do you do? And I would say, you know, we help get abortion workers out of the industry. And they'd be like, why do you do that? So that has changed somewhat. Um, but understand that just like children are created in the image of God, just like mothers are created in the image of God, these workers are created in the image of God. Just like Jesus died for the baby and died for the mother, Jesus died for them also. And he wants to save them and see them saved just like he does everyone else. And so 
when you look at it in that way, um, hopefully that helps change the mindset. Um, and realizing again, that most of these people, these workers are workers who really do believe they're doing what's best for the women. They're misguided, but they really do have good intentions. And almost all of them are coming out of serious trauma. And so, you know, you need to look at them the same way you would anybody in that situation and just try to love them, try to be there for them, try to support them. And again, if you encounter somebody who's worked in the abortion industry, whether it was today or 30 years ago, sending them to and then there were none so that we can give them the specialized care and counseling. Not only do we provide financial help, but we provide um, therapy. We do healing retreats, um, all kinds of things to try to help get them healthy and whole and ultimately come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Um, but that's a process. You know, right now we want to get them out. Then we want to try to get them healthy and whole and, and in the process. Come to, come to know do you find Lord. that a lot of people who leave the abortion industry become pro-life or do some of them like you just leave and remain pro-choice for a number of years? Like, what is that? You work yeah, with people it, who are still pro-choice. It, yeah, it depends. I mean, we definitely have people that leave that do not become pro-life, that believe that abortion, I think most believe that abortion should be okay in some situations. Um, you know, that hundred percent, never okay, never kind of thing. I, I, there are some for sure. Yeah. But most of the people would say, I believe in the situation of rape. I believe in the situation of incest, you know, those kinds of tough cases. Um, but a lot of them, it, it's, it's a gradual process. Very few leave and are like, oh, I'm pro-life instantly. You know, it's, it's a process because it it's, goes down to identity. And so as you help them rediscover their identity or find their identity in Christ, that oftentimes helps with the transition to becoming pro-life. Um, but sometimes not. Sometimes they leave and they're like, that's the horrible and they become pro-life instantly. Um, but usually it's more of a process than that. It seems like for the people that are leaving because they don't like how women are being treated, it would make sense that it's a more gradual process versus people who have that, they see a child and they recognize it's a child and there's this yeah. lightning bolt moment. Those are the people that are more likely yeah. to transition immediately. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely. And sometimes even with those people, they feel like it's okay first trimester. Mm -hmm. They feel like it's okay you know, it's as it gets later, as it gets further along, that's where they come up. But then it, it backs, because that's a very, you can talk people through that, you know, if you just time, like it, it, you can get there. But yeah, sometimes it is, like you said, that traumatic situation that they're like, this is horrible. And they realize quickly. So it sounds like for people that are listening to this, that want to go and actually be able to help support women who are going to get abortions or people who work in the industry, it sounds like praying outside is really good and offering resources. Is there anything else that you would encourage them to do? Yeah, I think support your local pregnancy center, for sure. I think uh, voting, y'all, we have got to vote. Um, we have got to vote pro-life values because as the laws get changed and as you know, we get new legislators in, that, that stuff does change. Um, but then just supporting organizations that are supporting women. So your local pregnancy resource center, um, your local Catholic charities, um, your, you know, Sidewalk Advocates for Life is a great organization. Pro Love Ministries is one of Abby's other ministries um, that we do find financial help and, and case management care for women um, who need help. You know, there's there's definitely ways that you can get involved, um, but really, really becoming active in that. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing this today. This has been so interesting and it's so good to be able to look at it from the other side to say, like, this is what people in that industry actually believe and this is how you can best minister to them. So. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. Yeah. 
Um, and to all of our listeners, please like and subscribe. Um, check out the new ebooks we have coming out and keep on living the culture of life. God bless.